0: Thank you, guys. I like that. People's choice of hymns. I haven't done that in a long time. That's good. You know what? Sticking with that theme, let's do people's choice of sermon. Uh, what passage would you like to hear a sermon on tonight? Anybody? Second John. That's good. All right. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's what I'm prepared to share. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 John, we'll be there in just a minute. Continuing in our Sunday night series, Postcards. Uh, I shared some of this uh, material, this uh, information with our men on Thursday mornings, I, I talked, to that to you, uh, talked to you about that a couple weeks ago, but um, it is so rich for us, I want all of us to go through this material together, and it's a look at some of the one chapter books in the Bible, they're just short little notes or emails or postcards, if you will, that are jam-packed full of truth for us that's relevant still to today. One thing about a postcard is when you write it, you don't write a postcard unless you want somebody to read it. Now, not just your intended audience, but there's at least three people who read the postcard. It's what the mail people do on break, you know they read that postcard, and the postman who delivers it, they, they probably read that postcard, and then your family member who gets the postcard, they kind of glance at it before they give it to you, and it's not something that you hide, it's, it's available everywhere, and kind of like that, this letter is meant not just for the original here, but it's meant for the church as a whole, it's meant for all of us. So, who is this letter to, and who is it written by? Who is this author? The first verse in Second John says it's from the elder. Who, who is an elder? It's not just somebody who's mature, or just someone who's older in years, it's someone who's respected in the church. It's someone who has great influence in the church, but specifically which elder? Obviously, the person receiving this note would have recognized the tone and the words used and the vocabulary used, and they would have had a good idea of who it was. And the style and content in this letter line up with that of 1 John. And so most scholars agree that the author of this book is John, one of the twelve disciples, the author of first, second, third John, and Revelation. He's writing while in exile on the island of Patmos, and I'm so thankful that John didn't say, well, I'm, I'm older in years, I'm in prison, so I better just hang it up and retire and let somebody else do the work. If, if he would have done that, we wouldn't have got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John or Revelation, but he pressed on and he gave words of not only encouragement and affirmation, but also correction and teaching. Who's John writing to? Verse 1 tells us, the chosen lady. Some think that this is a reference to the church, but there are several reasons why I think that's probably not John's uh, intent and who he's writing to. I think John is addressing a specific person, because in verse 10, he refers to her house in verse 10, and her sister's children in verse 13, and, and he hopes to meet with her face to face in verse 12, and so it's most likely that this is a specific person that he is writing to. To make this an allegory for the church, you have to do all kinds of twisting origami with the text to make it fit that. And a good rule of thumb is when the normal sense makes good sense, there's no other need to seek sense. That's kind of a tongue twister. It's it's good biblical interpretation. When the straightforward face value truth makes good sense, we don't have to go searching for some kind of hidden thing. And that's the case here in this passage. We see that this is the only letter that's written to a woman and her children addressed to them in all of the Bible. Why did John write this note, this postcard? Well, there were many false prophets, teachers claiming that they were of the Christian faith. And yet when you studied their teaching, when you studied their life, they were anything but a true follower of Christ. It sounded good. It appeared right. But it was counterfeit. It doesn't sound all that unfamiliar from the world in which we live today. You don't have to look very far to find people who claim to be religious, claim to be Christian, claim to be followers of God. Yet when you look at their life or what they teach or what they say or where they are leading you or others, it's anything but in the line of what Jesus himself taught us. John found out that this lady was indiscriminately giving support, encouragement, and lodging to anybody who said that they were a person of faith. They were using the right lingo, but their teaching was deceptive and it was destructive. John was concerned that this lovely Christian woman and her family would be led astray by false teachers. There are three admonitions I think that we can find in this short little one-chapter book that just takes a couple minutes to read that I feel that God wants us to look at and apply our life to these principles here in this passage. The first is to make sure that your love has boundaries. Let's look at verse 6 of 2 John together. 2 John, verse 6. And this is love. That we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. It doesn't say that your love should have limits. It's telling us that we should have a boundary in our love, proper boundaries. Let me illustrate. It's, it's kind of like a, a river. A river can bring life to a group of people, and cities can flourish where a river is, and, and there is transportation, and there is nourishment, and there's, there's trade that can take place around a river. But when that river floods and it goes beyond the banks, the boundaries of that river, it begins to cause all kinds of havoc for humans, for their livestock, for everything around them. And what was once beautiful and productive is now destructive and very, very dangerous. A river has to stay within its banks in order to remain beautiful and beneficial. In the same way, the banks long the river of love is God's truth and His commands. We are to keep these banks strong, to keep the river of God's love flowing through. And without us understanding the boundaries of love, it can be a very damaging and dangerous thing. When you open your heart and your home to every whim of anybody's doctrine, anybody's thought, anybody's whimsical idea of what is good and right, then you're making yourself vulnerable to distractions and ultimately destruction in your life. It may come with the label of love. This is the loving thing to do. Or this is the love feeling. But without the banks of God's truth and God's commands, we have all kinds of problems. That's what this lady was doing. And that's what many in our day find themselves in. The banks of truth need to be built up. The eroding effect of half-truths must be exposed and driven not only from our homes but from our minds, from our very life, from the way that we live. I want you to notice in in this few sentences how many times John uses the word truth. Just, Just look at there. It's all over the place. Five times in the first four verses he talks about truth. No one talks more about love than John but no one understood better that without That love without truth, half-truths, opens your life to this destructive view of what some think is love. Love without truth can be dangerous. Second, love cannot coexist without the truth. Everybody can promote love. It's a very popular theme to say, this is the loving thing to do, but few people Look at the truth combined with love. Cults, self-help groups, can envelop you with their call to affection and to support everyone around them. It's so seductive to think, well, let's just be nice to everybody. Let's just do whatever feels good to someone else around you. But without the banks of truth and the commands of God, it brings all kinds of pain. John defines love as walking in obedience to Christ's command. What that looks like is a life where everything, every relationship, every situation, every thought is governed by the question what would Jesus do? It's not just a frothy, sentimental thought, it's a love that is grounded in the idea of patterning our life after the actions that Christ has called us to. It's a love that's grounded in obedience to the work and the person of Jesus. I ask you tonight how keen is your spiritual discernment? How sharp is your thinker about what is true and what is not true? Of what is false teaching and what is God's truth? You know, you've heard the thought that how do you know when you're deceived? You don't if you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. You'd just be kidding yourself. And so how can we be sure that we're not deceived? Many Christians never take the time to see what God's Word says for themselves. They may listen to a preacher or read the popular Christian best-selling book, but rarely dive into God's Word for themselves. I know that I'm preaching to the choir on this thought here tonight. Many of you study your Bible Not just weekly, but daily. The reason we are to do this is not just because that's what we were taught to do or that's the good thing to do, but we are to saturate our mind with the Word of God so we will not be led astray. It is your job, it is my job as individual followers of Christ to devour His Word if we are faithful to read it. Even the youngest child who can run their eyes over the words and begin to sound out those words, the Holy Spirit will be faithful to help us catch what He is saying to us in His Word. There's no substitute for personal Bible study, for digging it out ourselves. We live in a very permissive, eclectic society where every worldview and every philosophy known to man is given equal value. And if you don't do that, you're labeled as one who's intolerant, who is ignorant, who's narrow-minded, who's judgmental. And the fact of the matter is, the truth couldn't be farther from that thought. It's so dangerous just to say, well, everything has the same footing. We all just get to have our own thought and opinion. For when you indiscriminately open your heart and your home to any teaching that sounds good, it will lead you to pain and devastation. I think of the story of a pastor who was meeting with a young woman who wanted to get married. And she was going to this pastor for counsel and for wisdom. And as she began to talk about this relationship, this dating relationship, the pastor saw many red flags, one after another after another. One, he tried to speak to her about that. The man that she was interested in was not a believer, was not a Christian. They were not of like mind. And when he would bring that up, she would sidestep that. And another is he didn't have a pattern of living an honest life. He was dishonest. So not only were their beliefs different, their actions were very different. And he got down to the end and he could tell that she didn't really want advice, though she came seeking advice. She said, but he tells me he loves me and I've already said that I love him. This pastor notes that she was on a collision course with love feelings without the truth in love, and it led to all kinds of pain in her life. As you hear that story, there are many relationships that you could fill in the blanks with names and people that you know, where a relationship that was set on just a feeling or just a thought, was not rooted in what God had for that person, it leads to pain for them and everybody else around. That is love without boundaries. We are to build up the banks of God's truth and God's commands to allow the freeing love river of God to flow and to be beneficial and beautiful in our life. Speaking the truth may not be popular today, But it's only those who express their life in living a way according to God's Word that will experience the true joy that He has. So if truth is important, if John is talking about truth, then what is this truth? Well, what is so focusing in this truth? What is the issue of these false teachers? Was it just a difference of an opinion? Was it just their different ideas or different perspective? What was the big kicker in this false teaching? Before we look at this second point, I want to point out that I think sometimes the enemy can get us to miss real false teaching and get our eyes all fixated on things that are not false teaching. It's just differences between, between one another. John is not talking about the NIV or the King James, which one is the right one to read. John is not talking about false teaching, about which method of worship through music should we use. Should it be contemporary? Should it be traditional Singing, or what should it look like. This is not just minor denominational differences between Bible-believing, Christ-following Christians. There is a very real threat to this false teaching. It is at the very core of Christianity. The second thought, admonition we can take from this, is make sure that you know the truth about Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 7 together. Many deceivers. Who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. John says that many deceivers have come out into the world. That's a commentary on our society. There are many people who come out offering spiritual help. It's interesting to me that one of the fastest growing segments of of not only media and movies, but in books and of all kinds, is the the genre, the area of spiritual being. Spiritual-toned movies, spiritual-toned books, spiritual help. But any person coming out offering spiritual help doesn't mean that they're rooted in the truth about Jesus Christ. And this was the false teaching that was so dangerous to this lady and to her kids and to her home. And the reason I believe God is calling us, as the body of Christ, to take in His Word and this warning about false teaching. John frames the answer to this question of how can I determine what is false, what is true, by asking what did they say about Jesus? One of my favorite questions to ask anybody when I'm getting to know them or even if I've known you for a while is, what is Jesus teaching you lately? When we can zero in on the God talk about what we believe, what we are experiencing in the person of Jesus Christ, it helps us cut right to the quick of what's really happening inside. Same thing with a preacher or a teacher or a ministry or a a colleague or a friend or a family member. What are they saying about who Jesus is? How are they living in response to their belief of who Jesus is? This general statement encompassing who Jesus is unlocks an entire doctrine of who Christ is in our life. Why He came. Who He is. What He accomplished. I've compiled a short list of some basic truths from God's Word and God's Word alone about who Christ is. Things that have been affirmed by the church for for 2,000 years that are so central to the faith, any Christ follower would say these are essential beliefs about Jesus Christ. First, the inerrancy of Scripture as authority on Jesus Christ. This is a non-negotiable. Anybody who says, well, I have another document or I have some other source of the authority of who Jesus Christ really is, is missing the truth that John is talking about. What is it that we should be concerned about with false teachers? The the primary focus of John in this letter is those who would have extra documents that would have different authority on who Jesus is or someone else who would take Jesus' place. Second, the virgin birth. And the deity of Jesus Christ is an essential belief. Maybe you've wondered, what's the big deal about Mary and the virgin birth? Who cares about the intimate life of Mary? Well, if we didn't care about that, we would miss a key truth in who Jesus is. If Mary was to go be with any soldier, Roman soldier, or any shepherd in the day and had a child, then the child would be a sinful child. We would have a sinful Savior, and yet those two cannot go hand in hand. We have a sinless Savior, and Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, who was born without sin, fully God, in fully human form, the miraculous Messiah, came to us, as the only person to walk this earth without a sinful nature in them. The virgin birth is core to who Jesus is. This leads to the sinless life of Jesus Christ. Christ, God made flesh, was like us in every way except He didn't have the sinful nature. Leads us to the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. This is a big phrase, a big word to, to say to us that Jesus paid our debt of sin on the cross. Any teaching about Jesus that doesn't acknowledge that it was His price He paid on the cross that covered our sin debt is leading us astray. Essential truths about who Jesus is. Next, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can sing about the blood, we can talk about the blood, and it becomes habit, but what's all this blood talk anyway? Scripture in the Old Testament talks about blood being the life source and God gave a sacrificial system that we can have justification by the lifeblood of an animal being sacrificed to pay the price and preparing the way for Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. If we don't acknowledge that the blood of Jesus is enough to cover our sin, we miss the truth about who Jesus is and it impacts everything else. For example the Mormon church doesn't talk much about the cross. They'll talk about Jesus, but they don't talk much about the cross. And they may observe communion, but they are observed through water and not the fruit of the vine or juice that's often mimicking the look of blood. Because for the Mormon, it's not freedom and grace from Jesus' death on the cross. It's salvation through works. And so the very heart of who Jesus is is in this understanding of the truth of the power in His blood that was shed for you and I. We see the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ being key. There's many cults, there's many religious gatherings that would have some kind of idea of resurrection or new life, but they don't talk about a bodily resurrection. New Age talks about spiritual reincarnation into another body, but not a resurrected body. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then everything that I preach, everything that you believe is foolishness, it is false. The ascension and present ministry of Jesus Christ is key. The Bible tells us that after He was raised from the dead and spent several days confirming the fact of who He was and what He was calling them to do, He ascended to heaven. It is at the right hand of the Father as He left in bodily form so His Spirit could dwell in every believer. We see the importance of the ascension in the present ministry of Jesus Christ. We read about this in Acts. The bodily return of Jesus Here on earth, no man knows the day or the hour, but we know by God's word about who Jesus is and what he means to us, that Jesus is coming again. He will not come as a baby, but he'll come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Pastor Brady, I I know this stuff. Why are we walking through a list of things that we've been learning our whole life to remind us of what John is talking about? This false teaching, this false doctrine is not what color the carpet should be. This false teaching, false doctrine is not some minor difference between one another. It is the very core of what the Bible proclaims of who Jesus is and what Jesus means to us. This love, the river of love that comes from God and the banks of God's truth and God's commands that we obey, Bring in and usher in that freedom. Whenever those go away, this idea of a limitless love becomes dangerous because it's out of context of who Jesus is, what He did, and what He calls us to. These are essential beliefs for every Christian. And John warns every believer to watch out for deceivers who don't acknowledge one or more of these essential teachings about who Christ is. Now, these false teachers, they don't bring it up. Rarely do you hear them publicly decree these truths. They skip over them. They minimize them. They will talk more about an idea of love than the person of love. These teachings and truths, which are saturated throughout the Bible, are often conspicuously missing from the false teacher's doctor. I don't believe it's my role or helpful in this setting to just start picking out names. But you listen to a popular spiritual guru who only has a message of endless love without the truth that is also tough and not always tender. You miss out on the power of what God brings to us in Jesus. For example, Judaism and Islam say that Jesus is a prophet, but not the Savior of the world. Unitarianism says that there is one supreme being, but not identified as Jesus Christ. Christian scientists say that He is a divine idea, but not a deity. Spiritism says He's a medium, but not the mediator. Mormonism says that He took a body at resurrection, but He's not the eternal Son of God. Jehovah's Witness will decree that He is a Son of God, but not the Son of God. New Age and mysticism and Zen Buddhism tell us that He is one way among many to get to God, but He is not the way, the truth, and the life. Those are the claims that Jesus made about Himself. Either He is a liar or He's a crazy lunatic, or He is the Lord of all, as one author has put, He can't just be a prophet. He can't just be a medium. He can't just be a good example. He can't just be a lowercase g God among many. He's either everything, or He is nothing. And John says to this lady, be careful for yourself. Be careful for your children. Don't mess with false teaching that misses who Jesus is and the centrality of Jesus Christ in your life. The atheist in his young days named Josh McDowell spent many years trying to discredit the claims of Christianity. Many of us in this room have probably read some of his books. At the end of his exhaustive journey to discredit Christianity, he came to the conclusion and I quote, to discredit and discard the facts surrounding the bodily resurrection of Jesus is to commit intellectual suicide. Josh is famous for saying that you don't need to check your brain at the door to believe in Jesus. In fact, it takes more faith, in Josh's words, to not believe in the truth given to us in Jesus than to believe in the truth of Jesus. John is saying to us, don't get carried away by just some kind of Feel good teaching that leaves Jesus out. Make sure you know the truth about Jesus Christ. And then when you discover the truth, make sure you hold on to the truth. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It's so easy for us to get distracted and Get separated for a pure vision of who Jesus is. For many of us, Satan knows he's not going to get you to join some kind of cult or some kind of strange, weird religion. But if he can just get you distracted enough to get you away from your intimate relationship with Jesus, the enemy can bring in all kinds of deception. But John is saying, hold on to the truth. Cling to the truth about Jesus Read about him. Sing about him. Talk to him. Talk to others about him. Make Jesus the central part of your life. It was almost a year ago this week. I was on vacation and came across a friend who I love dearly. And we began to talk. And I asked him what God was doing in his life. And I was floored by this friend I've had for many years who said, It's vacation. I'm not going to talk about any of that now. And my heart sunk. And I wanted to smack my friend in the back of the head and say, what are you talking about? We are called to be shepherds in God's family. And let alone with that, we are followers of Jesus ourselves. When is there a time off that I don't want to talk about what Jesus is doing in my life? Maybe we need to give each other permission to say, I don't know that I'm learning anything brand new, but I'm struggling with what I learned last week. Maybe we need to get permission to say, I'm kind of struggling this week, but let me tell you what I'm asking Jesus. I understand the idea to be transparent and real, not have to have a fake guy, smiley, plastic face all the time. But friends, we never take a vacation from talking about Jesus at the center of our heart. John says, hold on to the truth of who Jesus is. Cling to it. Make it a part of your daily life. As we gathered on vacation and we worshipped in another church, it's good. Other people can worship Jesus in a very authentic, real way, but it makes me miss you guys. Uh, It's nothing like worshipping with your family. But as we were gathering with a bunch of other people who were on vacation in this tabernacle and and praising the Lord together together, it dawned on me again. In this Christian faith, we gather at least once a week, if not more. Why do we gather so often? Why do we gather and sing of the truths that we've sung the week before? Because it keeps the centrality of Christ close in our heart to keep us on track with who He is. Before you know it, if we don't hang on to it, the enemy will bring distractions. That lead us away from the truth of Jesus. Let me try to put this in perspective for us before we go tonight. Would would you prefer to have a doctor who would examine you and discover that you had a very serious problem in your body? But said, you know what, I, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I just won't tell them about it. That wouldn't be the loving thing to do. I don't know about you, but I'd fire that doctor immediately. I don't care how bad the news is. If it's true, I want to know it. I need to know it. We need the truth. Love that is tender at times, but also tough at times. Those who love you the most will tell you the truth. They're not trying to hide anything. They will tell you the truth and the truth will set you free. The freedom in the truth comes in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Like the kids talked this morning, this simple yet profound and very powerful real life experience that Jesus loves you, that He died for our sin, that He is the very Son of God, that He is not just off aloof somewhere. He is our mediator between the Father and us. He cares for you, impacts everything. Every decision we make, every action we take, every relationship that we have. And so, the enemy doesn't need to get you or me to leap off some edge morally. Though he'll try to do that. As Andy Stanley shares in his book on Twisted, he just wants to twist the truth enough to get us off course a little bit now. That down the road, we are miles away from where we need to be. As we close tonight, John gives us this little postcard, these words. And he says at the end, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face. Another reason why I'm convinced, he's writing to a specific woman and her children. There's nothing to hide, nothing deceptive about face to face. He wants to share the truth so that her joy may be complete. There's freedom. There's peace of mind in the truth and the truth of Jesus. It's my desire for you and for me to live in that freedom. The love of the river of God that flows strong and it rushes loud and it moves all kinds of boulders out of our life. But the banks and the boundaries of His truth and His commands are necessary for us to be saturated by the love He has for us. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this short letter that I believe You divinely had written. You divinely had passed on to the body of Christ in the church in the book of 2 John. This half of a page short writing is packed with very relevant truth for us tonight. I pray that we will be on the lookout for false teachers. Not just people who disagree with us or people who we don't like. We can have differences and there's other bones to pick in other areas. But God, let our, our concern, the warning be so strong. When we get the centrality of Jesus wrong. So, Father, we declare again tonight this is not Brady's church. This is not any board or person's church. This is your church, Jesus. You are the head. You are the one that we worship. You are the one we listen to. You are the one that we are running after. And so, Lord, we not only welcome You into this place, in this campus, into this body of believers, but we welcome You into our daily life. Thank You for the powerful truth that ushers in Your love. It's in Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.